Go ahead and be seated. Hey, everyone. There's a... Um, I'll give a, just a little background. There's a, that I, I wasn't here during Bible class, and I just walked in here just a, right as assembly was starting. So um, I've, I found out that uh, even if you've had COVID, you can get it again, apparently. And so um, earlier this week, I had some symptoms, and as my wife's a nurse, and I said, I think I need to, uh, this feels like it did last time. And uh, she said, uh, well, I don't know, we'll see, let's, let's try. Uh, we had a rapid test at home, a few of them. So I tried it, and I tested positive. So that, oh, great, here we go, you know, again. And uh, Ike was, uh, by the, the count, I was able to, uh, to join society yesterday. And so wrestled with whether I should be here uh, today or not. Um, so my, the plan, as I discussed with the elders, that I would show up, I would preach, I would keep distance, wear the mask, and I wasn't preaching. And so afterwards, after I'm done here, I think I'm just going to jet, just to make sure you know, if I don't get anyone sick. And um, uh, According to the paper yesterday, there's 1,300 active cases in the Gallatin Valley right now, so um, it's, it's going, and it's around. And so uh, I feel great now at this point in time, uh, whether it was the natural immunity or the, the synthetic immunity, from the shot or whatever, um, this time around was the symptoms were much, much less. And so I'm thankful for that. Um, and uh, those of you that did offer up a prayer or send a message, I appreciate that. Uh, my family's home today. They have some symptoms, uh, except for my wife, who has been taking care of COVID patients for the last two years and taking uh, a COVID test two or three times a week, has still tested negative consistently through all of it. So whatever that means, I have no idea or how that works, whether I'm a COVID magnet or what. But one thing that was interesting that happened is my wife did send a picture of the rapid COVID test uh, to someone, and they thought it was a pregnancy test. And so that created a little bit of excitement there for just a very brief moment. No, my wife is not pregnant. If that word, if that gets around, that's not the case. Okay, we're not expecting another one. It was just a COVID test. And so there we are. But all the excitement. Because I've been thinking about and pondering Job this week a lot. Uh, boy, I thought, what an appropriate, there's never an inappropriate time maybe to talk about Job. And as we've been going through God's love story from Genesis all the way through Revelation, Job is something that's powerful. His story is amazing. And something I thought about is, even though I I had some sickness this week, I hope that no matter how sick I may get at some point in time, I hope I never lose my sense of humor. Um, You know those people that get sick, that they have uh, all sorts of um, things that just don't seem that life is fair, but somehow they never lose that sense of humor and they continue to be courageous and they continue to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Somewhere, somehow, God is still working, even though it hurts, even though I don't feel it at the time. But something that the book of Job does for us that's really important, because if you've noticed and we've talked about this pattern from God's love story from the very beginning till now, what comes up over and over again is, If you follow my commands, if you do what I want you to, then I'm going to bless you beyond what you can imagine. But if you disobey, if you disregard what I'm telling you, then there's going to be punishment that comes. We see that in the Garden of Eden. We see it with Moses as he's written down the law from God's mouth. In the end of Deuteronomy, as people are about to go into the promised land, he says, this is what you need to do. Follow the law. Follow the law. Follow the law. You do that, God's going to bless you. If you don't, then there's going to be great consequences because of it. We see it 
with Joshua. At the end of his life, he says, you've got to choose whom you're going to serve. Um, are you going to serve God? Oh, we're going to serve God. Because blessings and curses, that's how it works. You see that with David. You see it with Samuel, even before David. You see it with Solomon when the temple is dedicated. This concept over and over and over again, that if we follow God, if we give our best to God, then God will bless us in amazing ways. If we are disobedient, then there's destruction and curses that are coming. Okay, we see that. That should be a good message for us if we haven't learned anything else from going through God's love story. That's maybe the most important thing is just be faithful. Okay, be faithful. However, what happens and how do we navigate something when we have done our level best and we believe that we have done good? But the responses that we get, somehow it seems like there's punishment. What do we do when we feel that God is far away? What do we do when we give our best to God and feel like no matter where we turn, no matter what we do, there's things just don't line up for us? What do we do in those situations? Because those are the situations that can cause us to lose our faith. They're situations that can cause us to become bitter. They can cause us to uh, jump into conflict with other people. They can cause us to uh, any number of, of negative outcomes. And Job teaches us how to answer that question. And so when we look at the book of Job, and by the way, Job was, uh, is a story about a person that lived back in the times of Abraham, way, way, way back. But he, uh, the story, uh, according to how the language is written, probably was not written down until much, much later, whether it was revealed in a vision or it was part of oral tradition or whatever, but it, God saw it fit to become part of Scripture. And maybe there's a reason why it became very popular during the time of the kings or the end of the time of the kings or during the exile, that this became something that was very popular. Now, it is something we miss in English. It is phenomenal, amazingly written poetry. It is very, um, very highly refined. And so there's a, if you pull up the book of Job or comments about the book of Job, you'll see some of the greatest writers in the history of mankind have said, if you would give me just one book to hold on to from antiquity, it would be the book of Job because it's powerful. It's beautiful, beautifully written, and it's amazing. And so here's Job. Job 1.1 starts and says, In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Okay, so far so good, right? Because Job is upright, it says. He's blameless. And he is greater than everyone else. He has, as we see as the text continues, he has flocks, he has herds, he's got a beautiful, stereotypical, wonderful family that gets along well. He's got everything, he is the man. He is the one that any one of us would look at and say, that's the type of person I want to be like. like. Like David mentioned, people could come into his sphere of influence and they would not go away hungry. They would get justice as far as he saw it fit. He looked to do the right thing in every situation. Not only that, when his family was together, he would offer sacrifices on behalf of his family just to make sure that he covered anything that may go wrong. That's the type of guy that we're talking about right here. And then the story changes into something that's, that's kind of different. Where you have, it says that God, the sons of God came into the presence of God. Probably angels, spiritual beings, we don't know exactly. Angels are referred to as sons of God sometimes in Scripture. But in the middle of this, Satan comes in. Satan, meaning the deceiver, accuser. 
And the Lord says to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. What do you think about that, Satan? Just listen to this guy. Look at how wonderful this guy is. He is great. And you can just, you can sense just the, the spit just pouring from Satan's mouth as he, he grits his teeth here and says, Does Job fear, fear God for nothing? Satan replied, Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. In other words, God, this isn't real. Job is simply this. He is this little child that has two uncles. One doesn't have much to offer him. This uncle is poor. And he's got another uncle that is wealthy and spoils him rotten. And, of course, who is he going to like better? Which uncle is he going to like better? He's going to like the rich uncle. So that's all this is, is that you are the rich uncle and you have spoiled Job with all this stuff. And the moment Job loses the stuff... He's going to curse you to your face, God. That's all this is. Don't think you can pull this over on me. This isn't real. Just boom, there it is. And so what happens is God says, all right, Job, I will allow you to take away the stuff. I'll let you take it away. We're going to see what happens. And so as the story continues... What happens is Job is, is standing there and a messenger comes from here, from here, from here, from here, from here. And each one of them bears bad news. I was out with the camels and some raiders came in and they, they took them and they killed everyone else except for me. And I'm the only one that survived to be able to come and tell. And he goes and he loses every bit of his wealth. And not only that, but his family was together and they all died in a natural accident. And so there Job is, in a matter of, it seems, a very, very brief time, he goes from being the most blessed man that everyone could look at and say, hey, this guy is blessed by God, look at all that, to someone who has lost just about everything. And look at Job's response. He says, at this point, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head, and then he fell on the ground in worship. What would you say if in a matter of minutes you lost everything? that you had spent your entire life to create, to work for, to establish. What would you say at this point? Job says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Or blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Now, if you look at Job's response and you think, how on earth could Job have said something like that in this moment of great hurt and pain? How on earth is that possible? Then if we wrestle with that, then you and I have some growing to do. And that's what the point of the book of Job is, is to call us higher and to call us deeper. Job says he doesn't curse God, he doesn't scream out to God in rage, but he falls to the ground and worships and says, in essence, God, everything I have, you've given me, and everything I have, you've taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Man, that's tough. That demonstrates a faith that is amazing, something that's deep. Boy, I want that. That's, that's incredible. And what happens next is the, 
Sons of God come into his presence again, and Satan arrives there as well. And this is uh, God's response. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. No reason at all for this, but you incited me, and he still remains faithful. And again, you can, you can sense the, the rage and the anger, and that's how Satan operates, and rage and anger of response here. He says, skin for skin, a man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to his face. In other words, if you hurt, allow me to hurt him, his body, then he's going to curse you to your face. That's it. We haven't gotten deep enough And so God says, all right, you may lay your hands on him, but you may not take his life. And Job is afflicted with a disease, it says, of terribly painful boils all over his body. And so we see Job next. He's sitting in the ground in sackcloth and ashes with a broken piece of pottery that he is scraping on these boils because they hurt. And maybe that's providing some relief there. And his wife comes to him, and his wife gets a bad rap here. You know, but if we're honest, okay, we can understand where she's coming from. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. I imagine his wife is full of pain and anguish because she has lost her standard of life. She has lost her family. She is ready to curse God right now, and she's angry, and she's upset. And here she has seen her husband year after year after year after year be faithful to God, and this happens to him. And imagine she's looking up at God saying, God, my husband has done nothing to deserve any of this. And you are being unfair. Job, this God isn't worth it. Just bail, just be done with it. Curse him and die. Who cares about credibility? Because if, if you care about your integrity with that God, forget him. Just do it. And he replied, you are talking like a foolish woman, meaning one that is morally corrupt. You're not talking from a moral perspective here. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And all this, Job did not sin in what he said. And his attitude is still, blessed be the name of the Lord. I can't just follow God just when it's good for me, can I? Or, or when it's comfortable or when things are going my way. My Faith has to be deeper than that, doesn't it? It has to be something that even when I have lost absolutely everything except a little bit of life hanging on, I, I still got to follow him, don't I? I can't just bail on him when things are difficult for me. In the next chapters of Job, the next many chapters are a phenomenal discussion of the character and nature of God. It's a friendly discussion in that these three friends show up, and they see how wretched, the text says, Job is, and how much pain he is in, and they sit and they say nothing for seven days. I've never said nothing for seven days. But these understand as well is sometimes these friends get a bad rap, but they're here to try to comfort they don't just jump in and say, well, but Job, this is... They listen. They're good friends. They listen. 
They're just there to sit beside their friend who is in pain. But what it turns into is, and this is the heart and the meat of the the book of Job, is what is the character of God, actually? And honestly, when things don't go the way that we planned or we anticipate, what are we going to do about it? And it says, and Job basically, the discussion he makes, and I'm oversimplifying here, and if you haven't read Job, now is a great time to read it. Okay? Job basically says, I have done right. I have dedicated my life to doing right, and I have not sinned in such a way in order to deserve this sort of punishment. There's nothing that I can look back in my life and say, oh man, I've got this hidden sin that is deep and dark right here, and this is why I am suffering and in pain right now. That's what it, He said, there's nothing that I can look back on and say, this is why it happened. There's nothing like that. I, I can't find any of it. There, there's nothing. And he says, if I have sinned, what have I done to you, you who see everything we do? Why have you made me your target? In other words, God, why can't you just leave me alone? Okay, I was doing just fine. Have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? For I will soon lie down in the dust and you will search for me, but will be no more. But I will be no more. I'm going to be, God, you have laid this burden so heavy on me. I'm just going to die. I'm going to be gone. It's going to be tough. And it's going to be maybe your fault a little bit. You see Job wrestling there? As you continue on, he talks about, God, why can't we just have a time like that's set out that every once in a while I can come into your presence or anybody can come into your presence and say, why? Why? Are you just in doing this? And it's just argument after argument after discussion after discussion that Job says, I just want a fair audience before God. And if I've done something, I will repent. But I'm not going to repent over something I have not done. This isn't, this isn't fair here. Is you can sense the heartache that Job is wrestling with here. And his three friends basically make the discussion of saying, God rewards good and punishes evil. Which is true, is it not? Right? God rewards good and he punishes evil. Therefore, you are facing hard times because you must be evil. Now, that's where we run into problems here, right? Because, yes, God rewards good and he punishes evil. But just because we have uncomfortable, difficult circumstances in life does not mean it's the result of sin. And this is something that has stuck to mankind for, since the beginning, and Jesus dealt with it. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? you remember that story? It's the same concept here. And so they say things like, Bildad the Shuhite, he replied, How long will you say such things? Your words are a blustering wind. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. But if you will seek God earnestly and plead with the Almighty, if you are pure and upright, even now he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to your prosperous state. In other words, Job, man, we feel like you are not giving God a fair shake here. That this, uh, you're calling God unjust, and God is always just. And because God is always just, if you're experiencing pain, then you've done evil. That's it, Job. Come on, easy enough. There it is. Job says, no, there's nothing. There's nothing I can look back that I have not repented of, that I have not sacrificed for. I do not have hidden sin. 
Here's a, another one. Zophar is one of the, um, the other uh, um, of his friends. He says, you say to God, my beliefs are flawless and I am pure in your sight. Which in a sense is what Job is saying. He's not saying that he has arrived at complete and total perfection and doesn't make mistakes. What he's saying is, simply, is that there's nothing there that I can put my finger on. Yet if you devote your heart to him and stretch out your hands to him, if you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then free of, of fault you will lift up your face and you will stand firm without fear. You will surely forget your trouble, recalling it only as waters gone by. So in other words, Job, just, just repent. Just repent. Come on, we know there's something there. We know that you've been, been hiding something. Just repent of it and let it out, and then God will heal you and he will restore all sorts of blessings to you. If you've ever been in this situation, you know how painful this is. You imagine how tough it would be if someone, if you lost a child, for example, and someone walked up and said, well, what did you do to deserve this? <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute. That's hard to hear. That's tough to hear. And Job responds saying, you know, no, it, it's not there. Your reasoning is not accurate. In all of this, the story continues, and there's a younger man that's here. His name is Elihu. And he's young, and so he says, I didn't speak up initially, but I can't stand quietly anymore, and I have something to share. Here's what I think. So, Job, you and your friends are trying to answer questions that cannot be answered in the way that you desire. It just, we can't answer some of these questions. And the text says that he became very angry with Job for justifying himself rather than God. And maybe this is, is Elihu, from his young perspective, doesn't understand the pain that Job is going through. He can't identify with it. For him, it's just, well, you, how on earth can you call God into question? He's not experienced what Job has experienced. But he's also angry with the three friends because they have found no way to refute Job and yet have had condemned him. In other words... You can't point fingers at Job saying he has sinned unless you give him a reason or something to work with, okay? If you can't point to anything, then don't accuse him of something that you can't see or are not aware of. It's not fair. And he talks for chapters, and it says, The Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power. In his justice and great righteousness, he does not oppress. Therefore, people revere him, for he does not have regard for all the wise and hard. In other words, he doesn't play favorites. But right before this, the analogy he uses, I really appreciate. He said, trying to answer this question is, trying to look into, is like trying to look into the sun. It's just not going to work. Okay, There's too much there for us to process to be able to come up with any type of answer that we can, we can understand. That's just... God is beyond us in all of that. And as Elihu finishes speaking, it says that the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm, and he said, Who is that 
this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge. Brace yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. And what God does for the next several chapters is says, Job, were you there when I hung the stars in the sky? Were you there when I created these big storehouses for the hail and the snow to come? Do you know, have you ever gone down to the, the depths of the earth, way down to the, the wells of the deep? Have you inspected how those work? Have you ever uh, looked at, been able to, to create trees and, and look and see how beautiful they are? Are you there when a doe has her fawn? And you see the fawn being born and leaps around and is excited because of this great, amazing miracle of birth. Do you know these great creatures of the deep that, that I've created? Because by all means, Job, if you've done these things, if you're aware of these things, then please speak to me. Okay? Understand, if your right hand can save you, if your right hand can create all this, then by all means, Job, speak up. Were you there when I created the nations? And he just goes on and on and on. He talks about all these things. And then he turns to justice and he says, Job, would you question me when I dole out justice in what I see in the world? God does not give Job the answer that he may have wanted. He didn't sit down and say, Job, here's the deal. I'm going to explain all this to you. What God simply says is, Job... What you need to understand is I am God and you are not. And you need to remember that. And Job's response is he says, I know that you can do all things after God has spoken to him. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. There's two concepts, inner concepts, that we talked about last week that Hezekiah had, that Josiah had, that many did not. The willingness and desire to humble themselves before God. Do you see humility in this statement? And the desire to live a life of repentance. And you see that in this statement as well. And here we have Job held up as a man who suffered well of the complex questions in this life that we will never receive answers for. But ultimately, we have to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Even though it hurts, even though it's not fair, even though I look over and that person seems so blessed, and I have done so much more and I've done so, so much good, and here I am in my situation, yet I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Boy, I, um, I pondered and I thought a lot this week about what does that look like. <laughs> um, first of all, don't lose our sense of humor when, uh, when difficult moments come. But what Job does is Job takes us far beyond just the simple, if we do good, we're blessed by God. If we don't, then we're cursed by God. He takes us far, far beyond that. And he takes us to what happens or what are you going to do when things seem unfair and you don't agree with me? Are you going to curse me and run away? Are you going to bail? Or are you going to stay the course and allow me to be God and allow me to walk you through this? I think about um, why this was 
became popular. This story became popular at this point in time. And I wonder if the Israelites, if they are being led off into slavery, and they look around and they're humbled. They've been brought to humility by the armies that are there. And they look around and they think, man, we had all the opportunity to do good, and we disobeyed God and dishonored him, and here we are being led into slavery. And, man, this stinks. This is horrible. We hate this. What are we going to do now? They can look at their history and think, who, how many people were people that chose to honor God no matter what happened, no matter how bad things got? And I imagine as they looked back in their history, they weren't able to come up with too many names. You say David. David was one that even when circumstances were difficult, and maybe especially when circumstances were difficult, he humbled himself before God. There's several, but the Israelite nation as a whole, is that what they did? Not even close. They bailed every chance they got. And so as these people were brought into captivity, something must have changed in their hearts because when they got into captivity, what they did is instead of saying, God, we're done with you, we're finished with that, we're gone. Wherever they landed, they gathered a few people up and said, let's encourage one another, let's read scripture together, Let's see if we can be what God wants us to be. People that in our circumstances right now, we will never quit. Let's see if we can do that. And synagogues is what they became, places of prayer, houses of prayer. Jesus has a lot of interaction with synagogues later on. But that's where, this is where they start. During this time of people being taken into captivity, looking around saying, are we going to bail on God right now, or are we going to double down and go deep and say, Yet will I trust God, blessed be the name of the Lord, in spite of my circumstances. Really good things for us to think about, uh, for all of us. Because there's any number of things that could knock us off our mark. I think with the early church, the way they handled unfair circumstances made all the difference in the world. Justin Martyr said that the blood of the saints is the seed of the church. And the more the Romans tried to persecute and the more the Jewish leadership as it existed tried to persecute, the more the church grew because Christians didn't turn around and and fight for their rights. They said, blessed be the name of the Lord. Whatever happens in this life, it's all right. God's working. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And what we learn if we look a little deeper is in our time, there's people around us that may have a terrible accident that happens or they may develop a terrible disease or whatever it may be. And there's any number of uncomfortable circumstances may happen, but yet somehow at those moments they go deep and they, um, they smile through it all. And I believe that's what we can learn from Job is that's, can we be people of God without the stuff? Will we be people of God without the stuff? What happens if our... Um, our job falls through and we don't get to have the dream job that we always wanted? What happens if our house burns down and insurance somehow doesn't pay? Or or what happens if our family doesn't turn out the way we want? And things, um, um, I have a spouse that leaves or I have kids that that, uh, make poor decisions. Um, If if I have some, some difficulties in the church community, whatever it may be, Am I going to bail? Am I going to run? Or am I going to say, blessed be the name of the Lord, I dig deep and I find a way to be part of the solution instead of part of the problem. 
That's what we learn from Job. It's powerful stuff. Now, I think about, uh, I'll say, say one more thing. Um, and I've been, we've uh, been praying for all the, the babies that are being born. And, and, uh, and we have uh, a church that is full of these, these tiny kids right now. And I'm going to share the story again, and I mean, because it's just important to continue to share some of this as we go on. But how important it is to have the babies and children in the assembly. Now, um, I asked my daughter if I could share this. Some of you have heard me say this before, but I think this is important. Because, and where I'm going with this is that oftentimes our, our faith starts, we, we have to grow it at some point in time because if we wait for things to get difficult for it to grow, oftentimes it won't survive during those times. There's a lady that I knew that had cancer, and someone asked her towards the end of life, did this cancer bring you closer to God? Did it give, your, give you a lot more faith, a deeper faith in God? She said, if I would not have had my faith before, then no, because it is so painful and so hard right now that if I would have not developed my faith before, I would have lost it right now. So something I think about is with all the kids that are part of the church now and the families, you know, our prayers are with you. This is awesome. It's a, it's a great time. I will share this, and my daughter said I could share this. I wanted to ask her beforehand. But there was a few years ago, Patty Laird, um, minister's wife in Great Falls, shared with us. She said, Sarah is the worst baby I have ever seen in my life. And we were not offended. We knew it. Okay. <laughs> So Sarah popped out, and from the moment she popped out, it was a scream fest, and it was on, and it was on for a long, long time. And I would be in town, and there would be ladies walk up and say, oh, I had a baby like that. I've got a, a trick. Let me show you. And they would, I'd say, have at it. And they would try their little trick, you know, put the baby on the side or whatever. And then about a minute later, they would do this. And they would hand Sarah back because she, she just loved to scream, and that was it. And I think Sylvia went about two years uh, not hearing a lesson at all. And it was pretty rough there at times. And I thought, are we going to really have another one? Man, this is, wow, maybe we're just not good at this at all. And, you know, what's, what's happening here? But something I am so thankful for is that um, we didn't... Let me back up. We didn't have family members at any of the churches that we've ever been in as a married couple. Our family's always been far away. But we've always had people that stepped in and said, hey, how can I help and how can I be a blessing? And when we had, uh, there's times where, um, where we just felt like, man, it was too much. It was, it was uh, we don't know how to, to handle all of this big change that's happening right now. What happened is there was always someone there that would sit by us and say, let me help. And we were so thankful for that. And so if you have children and they're in the assembly and they scream, it's fine, okay? If you need to step to the back and, and hold them when you're there in the back or you need to step out in the foyer, whatever, it's fine. It's all good. But one thing I am so thankful for that we did not do when our babies were small and they were screaming and they were hollering and it was tough, I am glad we didn't say we need to step out of church for a while it would have been disastrous for us and our family. And so stay the course, young parents, stay the course, keep your kids in the, in the assembly, keep, stay the course, and, and we're, there's others that can step in as, as a temporary grandma and grandma just to help out if you need it. But it's okay, it's all right. 
because a lively church where kids are, are excited or not is still good. But what kids are learning from the time they are born is how to worship God in the community. And that's beautiful, and it's amazing, and it's wonderful. Well, how does that have to do with Job? It's just, that's something I've been thinking about, as for you, those of you that have, have children. It's awesome, it's great. Don't let the distractions happen right now in life. But any number of things can just derail us from the things that are most important. And whatever that is, whatever it may be, don't let it happen, because now, right now, now is the time to say, God, whatever I may be feeling right now, whatever I may be facing right now, and maybe life isn't what I anticipated it to be, blessed be the name of the Lord. And we've got a choice in those moments that we either curse God and run away from him, like Job's wife said, curse God and die, spiritual death, or we choose to run towards God and say, God, I don't understand it, I don't know it, I'm wrestling with this, I'm not happy about it. But blessed be the name of the Lord, and I run into your arms. And I'm convinced that the more and more and more of us that do that, God creates among us a community that shares the abundant life of Jesus with the world around us. If you'd like to become Christian, you'd like prayers of the church, the elders in the back, they'll be glad to talk with you. Let's stand and sing together. Blessed be the name of the Lord.